to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift programming language and other projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And today we have a very special episode, uh, live after the fact, uh, from WWDC with a very special guest, a celebrity guest, actually. Very happy to have him on board. Hello, I'm Greg Keo. Uh, thanks for inviting me on. It's great to be here. Yeah. Uh, so for listeners who may not know you, can you introduce yourself a bit more, Greg? Sure. I'm a uh, Canadian. I'm an iOS engineer. I work at a company called Topology Eyewear up in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, iOS, and I write about Swift once in a while, too. So that's me. Yeah, at uh, Swift Unboxed. That's right, swiftunboxed.com. Safely unwrapping the Swift language or something like that, I think <laughs> is the tagline. What do you guys have for Swift Unwrapped? Very similar name. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a tagline? Um, well, we don't have uh, your creative side uh, as much, so I think we keep it plain and simple, and mm. straight to the point where it's a a, uh, a spinoff of the uh, Swift Weekly Brief. That's right, yeah. Mm. Yeah, so thankfully, now that we have your uh, creative juices flowing, we can uh, uh, get started and do a special episode, not just because we have you on board, but also because we'll um, suspend our usual Swift-only rule uh, about only talking about the language on this podcast and share, uh, just discuss uh, pretty much everything that was announced at WWDC this year, WWDC 2018, um, not just the Swift bits, but obviously, however they refer or relate back to Swift, uh, we'll touch on that too. Yeah. Um, so what did you find most exciting, Greg? Uh, I guess they were promising something like a Snow Leopard, I'm making air quotes here, Snow Leopard release of stability right. and performance and that kind of thing. I think we got that, which is nice. But then we lose that on some of the cool features, like there's no new programming language this year, which was a bit of a shame. Yeah, um, I was really hoping for a new programming language as well. Mm -hmm. We did yeah. get a version bump, but um, right. yeah, you know, improvements here and there. Lots of new numbers, ARKit 2, CoreML 2. Uh, we do some of that stuff at work, so I was pretty excited to hear about that. Cool. How do you guys use uh, ARKit? In uh, we don't actually use ARKit itself okay. um, for you know, performance reasons and various other reasons. We still do a lot of stuff on the server, but we would love to move stuff to do uh, move it on device. So if there is something in Core ML2 or better vision support, better face detection, that, that would be great for us. So definitely going to check out the labs and the sessions for that for more details. Cool. Uh, yeah. Listeners may not know exactly what you guys do at Topology. Uh, we uh, we make glasses just briefly and then but we have a really cool iOS app where you kind of 3D scan your face or you just take a video selfie and then it makes a 3D mesh of your face. So all of that work is done on the server currently, all the computer vision stuff. But and it does take a little bit of time, like a minute. But yeah, we would love to do that stuff on device. That would be really cool. And then you could see it right away. Um, so yeah, that's what we're up to. So yeah, interested in how much better the face detection stuff will be in ARKit too. Yeah, I've noticed that the uh, Memoji that Apple just released, <laughs> mm. uh, you can you can set glasses on your on your avatars. Mm. Uh, can I say we've been Sherlocked? Do you think or, uh, or no? They're not actually making the glasses. They're though. not prescription glasses, so okay. that's a good area for you to just okay. get in there. And We're still safe. That's good to know. Have but your virtual prescription glasses on on your virtual avatars. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say, do do glasses even need to be prescription anymore? I mean, if you just want to wear 
you know, plain glasses. And or if you wear AR glasses, then you can, you know, the screen is right there directly on your retina. Right. Take that retina resolution. You can really just be whoever you want with Memoji. Hmm. Is that right? I think so. I haven't tried it yet. Have you Have you guys tried it yet? No, no, I don't have the beta installed. I'm too scared. Uh, we do have a spare iPhone 10, so I have it installed, but I haven't actually played around with it yet, unfortunately. But I'll get to it. It's a busy week. The two of you are significantly wiser than I am. I waited a whole 24 hours for folks to say that it was the most stable beta 1 of iOS ever. And so I installed it at uh, the 24th hour after it was released. And so far, it's been pretty smooth sailing. I filed about six radars, but it's all ma- minor stuff. Oh. Um, and so far, yeah, I can still uh, can still use my phone, so it's a win for me. Yeah, I, so I'm excited about the performance improvements, the faster uh, app opening, faster keyboard, faster camera opening and stuff. Uh, although I was uh, kind of surprised when the example like old iPhone that they chose was the iPhone 6S, which is actually what I still have. Hmm. I was like, oh, I'm on like the old slow phone now. That they're it trying is, to what three years behind, right? Yeah. Just last year was the eight, and then it was the seven, and the six S. You're three years three years behind. I'm old school, Greg. Yeah, uh, I know that. Yeah. I know that. But the five S is still in the running, right? Which is kind of un, I don't know, unfortunate for some people because it's like one more small device you got to worry about. So well, right. there's the SE too. So. Mm, yeah, yeah, but the SE is the six internals or six S internals. Six S internals, I think. Yeah. So yeah. I I was on uh, on the five S for mm. a few months uh, up until uh, the iPhone ten came out. And um, I've got to say, you know, I really would have welcomed uh, some nice performance boosts with iOS 12. So it's great to see that uh, they're really doubling down on the narrative uh, uh, against um, everyone who's saying that, oh, Apple slows down. They throttle older phones, yeah. um, you know, which is kind of a contorting what, what's actually happening, but not quite incorrect either. And so the fact that they've been doubling down on the narrative of saying, hey, like we support the same gamut of devices that iOS 11 supported back to, to the 5S. And uh, not only that, but we've focused on performance improvements for, for those devices specifically. Um, it's just great to um, to see that that's actually, not only do we know that they're doing that internally, but it's actually part of their public messaging and that they care about it that much. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of like the classic, not classic, the Mac OS 10 days when it, Mac OS 10 first came out, it was like really slow, but then every release it got faster on the same hardware because they were working on performance. So it's nice to see them doing that for iOS now, keeping the old devices up up to date. Yeah, and I can't say that uh, I've tried uh, iOS 12 on on you know, older devices, kind of three plus year old devices, but on even on my iPhone 10, so many operations are much snappier. Um, so it's it's nice to see that even from beta one, and we'll see what the impact is over time as they uh, maybe make more changes to iOS 12, and maybe that performance profile kind of shifts in one direction or another. But so far, it's looking very very good. Hmm. Good to hear. I have a iPhone 8 is my day to day carry phone, so haven't installed it yet, but I'll, I'm thinking about it. Everyone's saying it's so stable. So only five radars. I'll take it from you. Yeah. <laughs> So another thing that uh, they showed during the keynote was the new uh, measurement app, uh, which is somewhat relevant to my work at PlanGrid. Um, we had talked internally about like you know trying to do something similar, but uh, you definitely see like if you're on a construction site, you want to like measure something in physical space uh, on your iPhone for some reason. Um, it's kind of cool. 
Uh, now, they already had measurement apps in the store before, right? Do you know what the difference is? Is it more accurate? Is it just like a Sherlock thing? Or what's going on there with their measure app? Yeah, I'm not totally sure. I think, um, yeah, I had seen demos. There was some open source project back when uh, ARKit was first announced, I guess, last year. Mm. And someone from the iOS community built um, uh, built an iOS app uh, uh, to do like this exact thing, basically. Are you but, talking about uh, Patrick Balestra, who I think is out of Switzerland and had done um, a measurement app? It may have been open source, but it was very shortly after WWDC 2017. And it seemed even visually, uh, that it's extremely similar to at least some of the basic functionality of the new measurement app in iOS, um, where, you know, you tap a point uh, in a physical space, and then from there, it kind of sets. I'm seeing the video now, actually bringing it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was posted in late June 2017. So, like, this was right after DubDub. Right. And it looks... Uh, extremely similar to at least some of the basic functionality uh, that's in the new iOS 12 measurement app. Um, but beyond that, uh, it seems like they've also added things like um, uh, 3D shape detection hmm. so that it can uh, measure things without you a- actually having to tap in physical space where the object's edges are, which is definitely a, a good uh, a good enhancement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and generally just the fact that it's built into the OS is going to mean that it gets a lot more exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't seen anything about like developer APIs for this kind of thing. Um, obviously, uh, you've been able to build this on your own, um, but I wonder if there are improvements to make it easier now. So what else was uh, added in iOS 12? I've got uh, Siri and Siri Kit and the shortcut stuff all in here, which is pretty exciting. So we kind of know what the workflow team has been up to for the past year. And um, not quite, I don't know, I had like grand dreams of, you know, like Alexa, you do um, skills in the cloud, it runs on the cloud or something like that. And you act, I don't have one, so I don't know exactly. But I was hoping for like a Swift on the server kind of a thing where you could run your HomePod intense. I don't know what the word to use is, but I was hoping they'd do something like that. But instead, it's this nice drag and drop kind of thing where people can make their own, um, I was going to call it workflows, shortcuts, <laughs> we got to call it now. They can make right. their own shortcuts, but then you can like activate it from the HomePod, which is, I guess, their you know, consumer-friendly way to get your own custom stuff running, like if you tell Siri on the HomePod to do something. So I thought that was kind of cool. Nice way to get... Um, Apple's very good about that, like the Automator app. It's like user-friendly, normal people can do it. You don't need to be like a technical person. Yeah. So I liked how they brought the whole workflow app, which seemed very nerdy. I don't know many normal non-iOS nerds who use work. I'm sure there were who use workflow, but they've sort of, um, as they do very well, like made it more consumer friendly, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, not only that, but, um, you know, with workflow previously, you needed to go, well, first you need to know about it and then go to the app store, download it. Um, and so the fact that uh, there, there are discoverability wins now with uh, series shortcuts, with the fact that developers can embed um uh, some UI into their apps that show, you know, add to series shortcuts. Um, I think that was demonstrated in the keynote. And then uh, beyond that, uh, the fact that it's built into the OS again means that, um, you know, you don't need to, uh, there, there's much less of a discoverability hurdle there compared to workflow. Um, and then finally, uh, the fact that um, you can record your 
your custom phrase, your trigger phrase for the shortcut. I'm a little bit of two minds on this because on the one hand, uh, this seems to be functionality that very few other kind of audio assistant companies um, have provided, right? The ability to fully customize it to that extent. It's as simple as you record your voice saying what your trigger phrase should be, and then it's immediately associated to it, and then it syncs to all of your devices, including HomePod. so that's not really something that's provided by Alexa or, or Google Home. Um, and so that's really awesome. But on the other side, uh, you have the uh, the limitation, which has existed since, since the HomePod recently came out, of, um, well, you need to have an iPhone. And that iPhone needs to be nearby because it's going to use a local network to actually hand off these requests to the phone that will do the heavy lifting and it'll throw it back to the HomePod. So the HomePod isn't running in any of the software. You have to have the app installed on your phone, et cetera. So uh, it's a very Apple way to do things. And in some ways it allows some powerful kind of native only local things like setting up these custom shortcuts um, that are harder to do if it's a developer provided like Alexa skill that's hosted in the cloud, right? Like you're not going to maintain like tens of thousands plus users, different shortcut phrases. And uh, that's, that's pretty hard. So overall, I think this is, this is a nice win and it's a way for Apple to focus on uh, their strengths rather than try to compete in an area where they're arguably significantly behind some of their competitors. Yeah, I remember when people were speculating about what Siri Kit would look like a couple of years ago, and they were like, how are they going to do the natural language processing? Like, are they going to limit the number of intents that they have? And I think they, did they add more intents or do we have the same number as we did? There are more. There are these categories. I don't know if it's um, if they're still called intense in this case, but uh, I was briefly looking at the presentation um, with Amit and Ayaka uh, earlier today on on building for voice with Siri shortcuts, and there was this whole list of different categories of like, are you ordering? Are you uh, so they had like the soup chef as their as their apps, right? So you can make orders, or presumably I don't really remember the other options that were there, but uh, it seemed to have probably about. 20 or so different kind of dom- verbs. They're not even domains because they apply across uh, a, a variety of different situations and domains. So Yeah, I liked how they, uh, again, going back to like, how are you going to say what you want to do? And then how is the natural language processing going to like handle that and map it back to your app? And I didn't even think of it. It's like such a simple thing. I was like, oh, just let the user pick. Just record a phrase. And when we hear it, then we'll link it to this other thing. And then you're all set. So it's, I don't know, I'd never heard anybody consider that, like you set up a particular flow in your app and then you come up with your own sort of trigger phrase. I thought it was pretty smart. I think there's a downside to the way that they've done this though, which is like, say a podcast player. Um, I think the fact that users are recording a static phrase means that you can't really have kind of a placeholder or kind of a variable in there. Say like, um, you know, hey Siri, tell Overcast to play um, the Accidental Tet Podcast. Uh, you can't really say that because that's uh, you can only record static phrases, right? So the app could go and pre-register a static phrase for all of the content, like right. But there might be limitations there. Um, it's possible that you can only add like a certain finite number of these, or that it, you have user interaction that's required to add one, for example. So then the app could present something like a UI, like a button, say, add to Siri shortcuts when you're playing a certain episode. I'm not really sure how this is supposed to all play out. Um, and it's it's possible, it's very early days, so um, you know I'm sorry if I'm getting this wrong, but it looks like it is constrained in that sense. 
Yeah, the examples they gave were like, I got home, do the whole uh, turn on the lights, turn up the heat, and do all of that kind of thing. That seemed to be the examples. It wasn't like, yeah, play this episode or uh, go to this website that I like. It's just like open Safari or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm. The next thing I had down was the focus and distraction. I was kind of joking with somebody about like, Apple makes these really cool devices that we all want to use, and now they're adding things to save us from ourselves and to limit the time. Uh, What did you all think about some of those things that are coming up? I was very impressed by that, actually. Very happy to see that. I've been following um, like the time well spent, uh, I guess, movement, you would call it, or uh, organization uh, with Tristan Harris and, and others um, about reducing screen time and um, understanding like how some of this tech is manipulating you to keep you engaged. Uh, when maybe you don't want to. So um, I was very happy to see that. Yeah. Along with like the better, um, the improved, like do not disturb um, uh, feature. So like if you're just in a meeting, you can turn on do not disturb just Just for that meeting, right? Like it looks at your calendar, I guess, and knows how long the meeting's supposed to be. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, that's awesome because I often will turn it on and then forget that it's on and then I'll miss all these notifications and then... Uh, Yeah, so it's super convenient. Yeah, this is um, something that Google also recently focused on uh, at uh, their Google I.O. conference and it's coming in Android P, I believe. And so uh, inevitably you'll have, you know, a lot of conversations saying, well, this is reactionary and like Google's done it and now Apple's going to do it. But obviously this has been in the works for a while and it seems to be extremely well implemented. Um, Just looking at some of the graphs, it's actually kind of addicting. Uh, I might need to save, to have, um, what is it called? Uh, time, screen time, time. Screen time. right? I might need to track the time I spend in screen time just playing with the graphs <laughs> and try and limit that a little bit. JP's like a big data nerd. He's going to spend most of his time in there just analyzing his usage. Is that right. what's going to happen? Yeah, uh, my phone increase is going to go up just because I'm going to keep looking at these graphs. Does screen time list screen time in the? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. That would be uh, pretty meta. I feel like I feel like it, it should. Right? It really should. Yeah. yeah. But then, how do you track the time that you're looking at that? Oh, <laughs> you're going to get like an infinite loop eventually, and the phone is just going to, I don't know, divide by zero sometime. I see what you did it. there. Yeah. Mm. What about other platforms? Watch, TV? I'm looking at wrists here. Do, are any of you wearing a watch? No, no. no. I, actually, one other thing on the uh, the whole screen time thing. I I was impressed with the like measuring, like tell, telling you how long you've spent in all of these apps and having the breakdown in the graphs and stuff. You kind of had that with like the if you go in the settings and look at the battery... That was a close proxy, I think, yeah. Close proxy, yeah. yeah. You know, it kind of show you... It was about battery usage, but you could still see... Um, it would tell you, like, 26 minutes on screen or something, so you could kind of get an idea. Um, but I kind of expected it to stop there when they showed that it ties into, like, notifications. And then if you're in an app that you've... Uh, and actually, like, setting limits, and then you're in an app and it has that wide out screen um, to like block you out of that app. Uh, it was surprising that they went that far, but I'm yeah. glad they did. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. Are you going to set that for any app? Uh, I may. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I want, I'm interested in seeing all the data first to yeah. see like how. I wonder if it's retroactive. Like when you install iOS 12, does it have your history? Has it been keeping track all along and it just shows it or will it be from that point forward? 
I have to look it's, at that. It's from that point forward. Uh, yeah, okay. There's n- okay. none of that tracking uh, in previous iOS versions. So it's funny, Jesse, you'll, you'll wait to see the data before limiting yourself. So you're doing data-driven self-constraint, exactly. self-restraint. Yeah, that's how I live my life in general. Jesse's data-driven yeah. on everything, on all things yeah. in his life. Right. How much water have I had today? Oh, can't, can't have any more. Check the I'm, graphs. That's enough water, Jesse. Yeah, I've had enough. Go easy on the water. Right. Uh, before we move on to the platforms, there's a ton of other great features. I just want to do a really quick whirlwind in case um, you guys have some uh, some feedback that comes to mind. There's FaceTime. You can now do groups with up to 32 people at once, which is you know, a terrible idea, all things considered. But uh, the fact that group FaceTime exists is going to be just fantastic. Um, for uh, for sharing kind of videos of of your kids with uh, with family uh, that's that's elsewhere, maybe people are going to use this for meetings if your whole team's on uh, Apple platforms. Yeah, I mean, I've always wanted to FaceTime with thirty two people at once, so it's a dream come true for me. I'm gonna have to check his contacts. I'm not sure he has thirty two friends in his contact list, but I'll double uh, check. Uh, I'll have some follow up. I'll, right. I'll double check. Yeah, excuse well, me, we're not all celebrity guests on podcasts, okay. Greg. I know Greg Heo is certainly <laughs> not in my contact list. Hmm. Not anymore. Yeah. Right. There's uh there's obviously Memoji, which we touched on a little bit earlier. I played and with the, that. Yeah. The tongue detection. Tongue detection, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, what they said something snarky about the fact that they, you know, added tongue detection. That was a big deal. Well, you know, in our app, when you hold when you have to take a selfie, you have to kind of hold the phone away from you, so at arm's length, and you have to hit the record button, which is I don't know, if you're holding a phone, we have to hit the button on the screen. We don't support the side buttons. So I was joking and saying like maybe we could do like you stick your tongue out to start the recording and then that way you could just do a gesture based. Uh, expression. It's People are like, like, maybe you could like blink or something, wiggle your ears, but now we're like, we can just stick out your tongue to start and stop recording. Right. So we're thinking about that. Easter yeah. egg, maybe. You know, that reminds me of uh, the game. Um, I can't remember what it's called, but uh, I think it's a WWDC scholarship winner uh, student, the game where you like, you have to smile and it has like the, the emoji, yeah. there's like a rainbow and you're like, when you smile, it like bumps up and when you frown, it goes down and um I don't know how like the scoring works. It's some kind of game though, but I remember that it was, yeah, yeah it was controlled by, or it was like eyebrows raising, lowering and the smiling and the frowning. I remember, yeah. I remember something like that. Yeah. So now they can add tongue version two. There's a version two idea. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to, to other platforms. Cause there's a lot to, a lot more to cover there. Um, I guess next was watch OS, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? Uh, looking around, we're all bare wristed. So we're not uh, big, big Apple watch uh, wearers. No, I, uh, the updates seem, uh, cool. The walkie-talkie thing was interesting, um, but yeah, I'm not really a watch user, so yeah. I think the only thing I wrote was um, active and connected. So those they kept saying that a couple times, and I think that was their focus. They're like, I know some people have said like, oh, I got a watch. I don't know what to do with it. It's good for notifications, but it seems like I know last year the big focus was on like uh, the swimming support, water resistance in the watch, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they were saying all kinds of exercise, and they added yoga, and they added. Um, Hiking, I think. So that was great. So it seems to be the activity part of it. And then the connected part, I guess, is like the walkie-talkie and uh, more interactive notifications. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, almost seems like they found the little niche that they can hold with the watch and say, this is what it's for. And it's got like a better story behind it. So even though I don't wear a watch anymore and it's like, you know, maybe it doesn't fit with what I want to do, it's, I guess, good to see that they've said, nope, this is exactly what it does. And they have more of a story for it than they did when it was first released, maybe. Yeah, they found their focus, I think, and uh, you can now do things like detect that you've started a workout, even if you haven't told it explicitly, and you can it you can now have more um, rich notifications, and so th- they're really doubling down on the fact that well, notifications are 
uh, one pillar of the killer feature of the watch. <clears throat> and so it, it's good that they're not kind of scattered all over the place, that they're, they've are they really kind of focused on things that uh, they know work well. Yeah. And WipeKit on the watch as well, right? You can browse all your favorite websites now right on the watch. Bonus feature. <laughs> <laughs> Make use of that digital crown and scroll through, uh, scroll, scroll through some right. swift blog posts, it's you know? Best way to browse the web. I Pretty think. much. Yeah. Pretty much. On tvOS, the main thing I cared about was knowing where the screensaver locations are. <laughs> there's actually like there's some uh, third-party website dedicated to this. They like researched it, and then you could they had a list of all of them. You could actually watch them on this site, and then I can't remember the name of it, but uh, then they told you where everything was. And Sherlocked. Now it's built in. Yeah, now it's built in. All so right. we can delete that website from the internet now. Or poor people who run that, their livelihood probably depends on people's curiosity of knowing, you know, where's this waterfall? Yeah. What are they going to do now? I wish I'd known about that. I was curious about where these things were. And now uh, I don't have an Apple TV anymore, actually. So I got to find this website. Yeah. Yeah. There's also the Arial uh, <clears throat> Mac screensaver mm-hmm. that's open source. You can check out. Uh, so I, I use that. Uh, maybe they'll add this as a feature because you can already see from uh, the screensaver's profile in the settings. I think in the cache, it'll tell you what's already cached and you can kind of guess yeah, you can which check one what the names up. are. But yeah. it doesn't have like these, uh, you know, it, it's like the file name basically, which happens to have the location. So it doesn't have this like rich description. Uh, and then the whole NASA imagery is also fantastic from the um, International Space Station. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, TVOS, speaking of which, uh, there's also the um, zero sign-on now. and Yeah, I'm not sure how that is going to work, but... Yeah, honestly, I, I was a little um, taken aback when uh, the presenter, um, who did a great job presenting, uh, and she said, uh, oh yeah, last year, you know, we, we solved the issue of like copying codes from your TV to uh, to like your your TV provider's channel or something like that. Uh, with single sign-on and I'm like no like I've had I've had the latest tvOS for this whole time and it asks me like you know every time I open my TV it's gonna ask me this and so the fact that they're moving to zero sign-on like I hope that that was really just kind of um, uh, framing the presentation in a way like hey we've made it even better but it really looked like more of a oh yeah we've already made this awesome and now we're making it better and it, it seemed a little tone deaf to me because it has not worked as advertised at all and the fact that single sign-on will only work with a handful of, of, of uh, TV providers which it, the list was already quite small for single sign-on and now zero sign-on it's with charter um, There's just one, yeah. In the that, U.S.? I've never heard of it. I mean, Canal Plus is pretty popular in France, but even then, like, if it's a if it's an even smaller pool of supported uh, TV providers, then, you know, what's what's it going to be like in practice, right? So that's a bit of a shame, but I'm, I'm hoping that it works out. Um, yeah, they said they'll bring it to more thing. providers too, but I don't know. I, I also don't pay for TV, so I don't have, like, a cable thing. And then finally, uh, there's, I think Apple has another platform uh, that just came out. Yeah. What is it? Oh. Knows. <laughs> Back to the Mac, of course. Right. Gone from the mountains. The sojourn in the mountains has ended, and now we've gone to the desert, right? right. I was hoping for Death Valley, to be honest. Yeah. There was a little yeah. bit of a leak of the, the desert theme, so I was hoping for Death Valley. But maybe the marketing team, uh, for some reason, thought that would not be the best. I don't know. Well, I don't know. They went with High Sierra. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Where do they draw the line, really? Where mm. do you draw the line in the sand? <laughs> oh, in, I in see Mojave, what you did there. obviously. I see what you did there. Yeah. It could have been called uh, snow-capped. Snow high, desert? High Sierra, yeah. Yosemite Peak or something like that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, they added the Jesse Squires with a registered trademark dark mode to it. So how happy are you about that? Yes, I am Yeah, a huge fan of dark mode. Um, I will make heavy use of that. I've actually, the current kind of dark mode, which just changes like the menu bar and dock, I think. I've never used that because it just looks awful with everything else because everything else stays the same. You don't do the invert colors trick that some people do to make like their own sort of quasi dark mode. You don't do that? Uh, sometimes I'll do that, but not very often. Do two yeah. dark modes make a light? Like, does it uh, invert like that? Yeah, I think what I'll do is enable dark mode and then invert the colors. <laughs> Extra light. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that that was really cool to see. And uh, the fact that um, this dark mode UI appearance, anyway, has been available on tvOS for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, like, there have constantly been... Um, kind of winks at iOS getting this as well uh, means that I think it's just a matter of time until, you know, this configurability is across all of Apple's platforms. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed that it's not coming to iOS, actually. Um, sure it will, though. It's kind of, I thought like UI refinements usually start these days on iOS and make their way to the Mac. Right. Whereas bigger technology things usually start on the Mac and make their way to iOS. This is kind of interesting Choice. I don't know. I had heard some other thing that the NS color versus UI color API maybe has something to do with it. Apparently, NS color is a little more flexible about, um, I don't know, I have to look at the details again. But, you know, you have like light text color and uh, not like green and orange, but you have those named colors. There's something in NS color in AppKit that supports this kind of switching where one color can actually mean two things depending on the context or something like that. Uh, I've, I saw some tweet briefly fly by about about that. Um, anyway, and I heard they didn't have it in iOS, so that might be part of it, but I'll have to look into that some more. Yeah, this was the first time that I saw um, colors in asset catalogs actually uh, be worth something, because uh, I've, I've never used colors in asset catalogs before. Um, I've always preferred like having static constants that I can, uh, in a type-safe way, refer to, right? Uh, defined in Swift code. And now, um, this is one area where dark mode, light mode, uh, having the same named color semantically um, actually re- refer to two different um, two different colors, including like more than that. Even when you consider different color profiles, like now we're actually starting to get a really good story for colors and asset catalogs. I don't know if I'll actually use it still, but uh, at least there's mm-hmm. something compelling there. I'm sure there's uh, a, a, a API you can use in code though to right. I mean, surely there's something. Yeah, I haven't. I don't put colors in this. I don't think I put colors in asset catalogs either. I'm trying to think about it. But yeah, you know, when you have that. an image in an asset catalog and they have the image literals now that shows you a little tiny icon, right? Do they do? They surely do that for colors already, right? Like uh, if you have a color in the asset catalog, I mean. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. there's a uh, color literal. Yeah. Okay. Uh, equivalent. I mean, I've seen yeah. that when you just give RGB values, but I'm like, if it's coming from the color catalog, uh, I guess it gives you a little preview too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm pretty sure that works. Yeah. Well, what about UIKit on the Mac? The Stocks app, who knew it had it in it, you know, to be this wonderful 
merging of well, I shouldn't say merging of platforms, but you synergies. Know I mean. Yes, uh, get all the synergy you can handle with the stocks app. News in the stocks, stocks on the Mac. It's just it's, it's crazy. Very excited. <laughs> no, but seriously, UI can come to the Mac. Um, you know, not available for developers until uh, 2019 or later, unless you're like Steve Trutton Smith on Twitter, who has already written, I think, a few, uh, gotten some iOS apps working on the Mac. But uh, for the rest of us, at least, yeah, next year. Yeah. Um, so that's that's exciting that uh, Apple's actually being upfront and honest and transparent about their strategy, their multi-year strategy there. Um, which is kind of a rare thing for Apple to really share kind of that far in advance. Yeah, but I think uh, in this case they didn't they didn't have much of a choice because as soon as those betas are out, Steve TS and other people are going to scrape through them and find all these references to UIKit, and then it would just be all these rumors or like you know everything else. Someone would figure it out. So I think they had to explain themselves. I think you hit the nail on the head there for the rationale and the motivation for for being upfront about the strategy. Um, because ideally, as a developer, what I would have liked to see is some sort of um, some sort of message uh, or story around. Uh, okay, well, devs, we're sharing this, the fact that we're doing this with you early so that we can get your feedback. But they didn't share how to give that feedback, how to try things. So really, like, um, it it seems really more towards, uh, like, having the first say rather than have the information come out in leaks more than be an honest way to solicit feedback. Maybe this will come in future versions of macOS, like, say, like, Mojave uh, 14.1. Mm-hmm. But uh, so far, they really have just said, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. You're not going to have access to it for a while, uh, but we're doing it to, to let it bake and get your feedback. But if we can't use it, if they haven't shared instructions, if there's no like beta API that you still can't submit to the store with, but at least you have a playground, like that is what I would have liked to see. And maybe that'll come later. Surely we'll get I'm those. I'm sure someone uh, will figure you know, out. Someone always dumps out the framework yeah, headers, right? We'll get at least that and we can see what the APIs look like. Well, it looks like uh, vanilla UI kit, just subsections of it. Um, so th- that's another thing uh, that might lead to a slightly confusing developer story is um, if it's still called UI kit on both platforms, like how do you know what portion is available where? And I know Swift has availability annotations. Hey, now we're actually finally bringing it back to Swift Unwrapped. Um, Swift has... Uh, availability annotations uh, on a per declaration basis that uh, can indicate which platforms available on and which versions of those platforms. However, um, you know, if you're looking at documentation for UIKit, knowing like which APIs are available, which which ones aren't, um, you kind of have that today with TVOS, which runs like mostly all of iOS plus and minus a handful of things. Um, but uh, the overlap there has been so large that it really hasn't been a concern. So it really all boils down to how much of UIKit is actually going to be available on the Mac, because uh, that will greatly influence the kind of developer experience that uh, people can expect. Yeah, but you'll get warnings from the compiler, right? Uh, if you're trying to use an API that's not available. Yeah, maybe this is a non-issue. Or really, if there's a large enough portion of UIKit that's available, then this is a non-issue as well. Right. right. If 
if I don't know where where to draw that line, if it's 80% plus or 90% plus, but I suspect that it would have to be significantly high uh, to not impede the developer experience. Yeah, and plus we already have the iOS simulator. We've had it from the very beginning. So like technically all that stuff does run on the Mac already, except for whatever it is, metal, a little scene kits, and uh, does the camera? There's still no camera on the simulator, right? It doesn't use your Mac camera, I don't think. So. No, maybe those things will be the ones that are missing, but then everything else will be there. Everything else technically works already. Right. I've always used uh, Safari and the iOS simulator exclusively on the Mac. Mm, instead of the actual desktop Safari. Yeah, because yeah. it's uh, just a better experience. Actually, I just use the watch simulator for my uh, <laughs> WebKit browsing. Um, I find that uh, I have more focus when I can't read anything that's on the screen. Mm. Yeah, I'm not distracted by as much. Yeah. Uh, should we move on to Swift then? Yeah, we already started talking about it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Xcode, I guess, the Xcode improvements. the uh, That multi-cursor support. Yeah, yeah. I, they already Do they have multi-select already or they don't? I'm sort of behind. They, they, they don't. don't have it. That's well, new. you can sort of block select with right. Xcode 9 yes. if you hold down option and then you get the little crosshair uh, cursor and then you can block select. But then you, you, that selection doesn't keep. You can delete, and I think that's basically all you can do from a crosshair selection. Um, so now you can do things like place multiple cursors. It has to be done manually, one by one. You know, you can't have, like, select all uh, occurrences of... Well, you, you can. Um, the refactoring has the that. The refactoring yeah. has that. Yeah. But you can't say, like, oh, well, every var keyword, right? Um, like, select every var keyword, and then you have a cursor everywhere there. So it has to be, like, click, 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 click. Uh, but then from there, you can easily kind of refactor across tokens. Mm-hmm. That should be useful. That'll that'll reduce my amount of switching between Xcode and other editors. Yeah, yeah. And then there's uh, uh, source control integration that'll show you if um, uh, an upstream version of the branch that you're on uh, has some conflicting changes. Yeah, which is, is that just like doing a continuous fetch? Or what do you think that's Presumably, yeah, yeah. I asked someone who posted about it on Twitter who worked on the feature uh, whether like what the polling interval was, and they didn't reply. So uh, I guess we'll have to figure that out for ourselves. Yeah, I was happy to see um, improvements to syntax highlighting uh, as well in terms of source kit not crashing uh, as much. Yeah, they've claimed higher robustness and reliability, um, but uh, those metrics seem kind of hard to, to pinpoint. So I guess um, our usage is actually going to, you know, we'll, we'll see that firsthand, uh, whether or not that, how, how true that is. Yeah. I liked how the, I guess the first release, at least of Xcode 10, is still going to support Swift 3. Is it 3.2? That's the compatibility version? I, f- right. I keep asking people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think in the past year, they it was like Swift 2.3 was the kind of compatibility release when Swift 3 came out. And that was dropped like with Xcode whatever it was, the 0.1 or the 0.2 release or something like that. Mm-hmm. But the, um, if sort of my notes are correct, and if I heard correctly, Swift 3 is still going to be supported in the, at least the first release of Xcode 10. Maybe they'll drop in like 10.1 or something like that. So that's like two years now that they're going back to still support. If your mm-hmm. app still hasn't been migrated to Swift 4, you can uh, still run it in Swift 3 mode, which is kind of nice because I know a lot of people were complaining about migrations and having to like you know upend the business and stop product um, stop producing features to like to work on migration so I like that the Swift lifetime even though the source compatibility source compatibility is a lot better between three and four I like how we get a more of an extended period for folks who might need a little more flexibility so that was nice to see mm-hmm 
Yeah, there are a number of playground enhancements as well, um, like the playground REPL mode now, which it's not the actual name. I think it's called playground step-by-step execution mode, uh, where you get a little play button in the left gutter, and then you have a ribbon in that gutter that colors uh, whether or not certain code has run. Um, so that will be super useful for preserving state, uh, especially in like live views in playgrounds. And it'll be useful when you're accessing random APIs or when um, you need like a specific set of state uh, that you've interacted with or downloaded a resource from the network. So that looks interesting and the fa- the, the promise as well of, of reliability and robustness uh, that they've made there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm certainly looking forward to uh, seeing that firsthand. Yeah, I think the popular thing to do was always uh, disable the automatic execution. Like that first thing, you, yeah. yeah, first thing you do, and then um, uh, just run it manually. Yeah, I hope that's a lot better. I had a lot of I seem to have more trouble when uh, Xcode nine three came out with playgrounds. They were just not running, or they were spinning infinitely. I had to keep restarting all the time. Yeah, um, same here. So I hope, yeah, I hope that mm-hmm. got better. I haven't tried it out yet, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I like Playgrounds for just um, quick development, even like doing UI prototyping. It's really useful, and I've been doing that a lot, but it's been hard with with uh, Xcode 9.3. So looking forward to some improvements there for sure. Um, moving on to some more nerdy stuff, uh, custom instruments and OS signpost. Uh, that looks super neat. I'm looking forward to digging into that a little bit more. Uh, but anytime there are new instruments or new ways to debug, I'm always all over that because that, that's always um, a useful tool to have in your tool belt. Yeah, I used to be able to do like custom D-trace scripts and bring them into instrument. Did you ever do that before? Did, yeah, you're the kind that. of guy who would do that. It's Yeah, it's definitely very advanced. Uh, yeah. I think this is um, a lot more approachable. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to be their approach, right? They come up with some really arcane thing from Unix. They bring it over, and then they make it nice, right? That's kind of Apple's way. So that was good to see. Custom instruments. Yeah, the signpost thing. I am not. You know, that didn't really resonate with me a whole lot. I don't. I don't see myself using that specifically for much. You, you uh, need to watch the sessions for. Um, uh, it's something to do with instruments. Yeah, um, yeah. To really see kind of what the impact of it on your debug session could have. Okay. Because uh, yeah, I mean, the API itself. Uh, I mean, you're you're not going to use that. Um, uh, you know, as as a user of the app, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's really a specific feature for that. Was that a uh, benchmarking your app with uh, logging or something? There's a session call. Is that, is that the one that I think we'll that's about one it? of the sessions. There's okay. also advanced debugging techniques. Right. Um, so I think they mention it in both. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Overall, I mean, there's um, all the Swift stuff that comes with Swift 4.2 as well, which we've discussed at length on the show. Yeah. I yeah. did. I looked up my notes and I was like, oh, case iterable. There's already an episode on it. Uh, implicitly unwrapped optionals as attributes. Already an episode. The new nice. random and shuffle thing. Already an episode. Here's one. Hash combining. Have you guys discussed this one? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little that. behind. You have. We, yeah, we have discussed hashing okay. uh, briefly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, wow, pretty good. Yeah, we've uh, covered most of those proposals. If there were a code yeah. coverage bar, you guys would be in the green in the 90% maybe I would give you. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't mean much. Uh, you have to look at branch coverage. Uh, the other um, nice thing in Xcode was the parallel testing and the, uh, that the random That demoed tester. very well, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Swift package managers had the option to run your tests in parallel um, for about a year now, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see that coming to Xcode. And previously, Xcode build as well had some flag for this, but it was fairly limited. Now you can run multiple instances of a clone simulator, run all of your UI tests in parallel. It's 
really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doing something like this was possible before, but it was a lot more work, a lot more like manual steps. Um, now it's just a checkbox. So. All right. I think that's all we have for this episode. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at Swift underscore Unwrapped. Uh, you can find me at Jesse underscore Squires. You can find me at SimJP and our celebrity guest. You can find me also on Twitter. I'm at Greg Hugh. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.